This is Jeff Garcia of the Spurs Zone. And for everything you need to know about your silver and black, you want to go to the Spurs Zone at News4 San Antonio and Fox29SanAntonio.com. Guys, welcome to At the Line. I'm Ty Yeager. That's Mac Pena. And today we're joined by the lovely Carl Showing. Carl, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you guys doing? It's going. It's going. NBA is back, and I can't believe it's happening. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay everyone, calm. Mac, I need you to stay calm on this. Come on, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I was overtly excited when uh, tip-off happened between the clip, uh, the Clippers, and the Magic. So. Carl showing he's been he's been the commentator for the Austin Spurs all season long, and with the Spurs now going into so-called development mode and having players like Lamarcus and Trey Lyles out, we're going to be seeing a lot more of the young guys, and we we should really know what are we looking forward to these young guys. And Carl knows it all. Carl, just on just on the surface, what what can you tell us about these guys just as a group of the main of the main five guys that we're going to be seeing that have been in Austin all season long? Yeah, I, I think that they had a, a lot of growing pains together this season. Uh, obviously, Drew Eubanks and Chemezi Metu had been down in Austin the year before, but uh, Keldon, Luca, and Quindary are all rookies, and they were three of eight players who were all in their rookie year on the Austin Spurs, and the with the exception of Jeff Ledbetter and Jordan Green, everybody else was in their second year or first year on a very young roster, so in, in a weird way, it, it seemed like almost a continuation of college uh, when a lot of these guys got into the professional ranks, and uh, you didn't really know what you were going to get at the beginning of this Austin Spurs season, so there were obviously some ups and downs of guys learning how to play the American professional game. But uh, overall, yeah, all five guys really started to play well and mesh together at the end of the season. And then there were times where Keldon and Luca, who had been with Austin primarily all season, towards the end before the shutdown, got some opportunities to show what they could do at the affiliate level. And uh, I think uh, they really did start to get a little bit of experience that uh, – Overall, the whole first year of experience for these guys who should be sophomores in college was pretty good. And the G League is a very different game compared to NBA. We've seen it become a bit faster paced, at least in my opinion. What would you say is some of the biggest differences that people should be aware of when it comes to comparing someone's G League game to the NBA game? That's a good question. I think a lot of things translate, and a lot of things are things that people are working on down there. So... What is it exactly that that maybe is different and the same? I think the the quality of defense is definitely better at the NBA level. If you can play defense in the G League and knock down a three consistently or rebound consistently, whatever it is that a team might be looking for, uh, the the G League I think starts with defense, and that might not have been the case a few years ago, but all of a sudden especially with the influx of two-way contract players, you have a much higher level of basketball being played. I think people, or excuse me, players are are starting to look at it as more of a development opportunity to have a longer NBA career than a punishment of you're not good enough to play in the NBA. And and that was obviously something that was an issue. But uh, overall, the the league 
has gotten a lot better. It's always been fast up and down, but uh, the the actual talent quality now is, is a big difference from when it, it kind of got started in the 2000s and uh, late two th- 2000s before the teens. Uh, and then sort of uh, in the 2015 and on range, it's really gotten uh, as a, become a solid development league. So uh, if you can defend at the G League level, I think you start to raise some eyebrows. But if you can score and defend, that's when you're not going to be in the G League long. So, Carl, we all know, or at least as Spurs fans, we know the importance or the importance of the G League and the development. And we've seen plenty of Spurs players come through, and even some people that have won championships with the team have come through through the G League. So, what do you say to those to the criticism, you know, especially of the Spurs way about keeping you know, the younger studs in the G League development program as opposed to just giving them full NBA NBA minutes? Or or are you a proponent of that? You know, do you oppose that method or are you a proponent? The 2 Kification of the NBA fan base is really quite something. You, you see all you, you, it, it's what I deal with on Twitter all the time when people want these these rookies, these first round picks to basically just be thrown in the fire and and learn uh, so many things that go into such a highly structured basketball level of basketball. It, it's it, it's something that you need to to give these guys just an opportunity to develop and Maybe maybe that sort of is what the the actual process should be. Is you should focus on development and where these guys are uh, going and w- working within a system that hopefully they can thrive in, as opposed to the maybe not getting a chance to play at the end of a bench or only getting spot minutes. It's much better, in my opinion, if they get a chance to go up in a step up of talent. I would say outside of the Spanish ACB. The NBA G League is one of the best leagues in the world. It, it's definitely top four, in my opinion. Uh, obviously better than the NCAA. I, I would say that any G League team could beat any NCAA team most years. Um, but but you know, going back to the, the question, especially with the Spurs, I think there's always an uh, excitement of we want to see a rookie play, yet you sort of know that it's a veteran heavy team so they're they're either going to be exceptional which you get your rare occasion of uh, a rookie who cracks the Spurs rotation such a, as a Kawhi Leonard uh, or George Hill but more or less the Spurs want to bring these guys along right to have long 10 year NBA careers and not necessarily give them uh, more than they are ready for. And I'm not saying that any of these guys that they've sent to the G League wouldn't be NBA contributors. I think it's all about proper development, such as uh, you don't want to develop bad habits or uh, you, you maybe want to figure out a way to, um, you know, what's the word here I'm looking for? Uh, you, you want to be in the the best situation possible as a player. And mm-hmm. sometimes being an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old, I should say, nowadays, that that's playing NBA rotation minutes, that could actually hurt your development because you, you just might not be ready. And then all of a sudden you lose a little confidence. Confidence goes so far in this game. And then you never know what kind of downward trajectory you can be sent on. I can probably name... 
you know, in the last 10 years, a dozen top five picks that didn't pan out probably because they just weren't ready for the NBA. Expectations were too high. And then maybe they just never really developed because they lost their confidence somewhere along the way. So, so when it comes down to it, yes, I think the Spurs do it the best way. They they care about these players' careers. They care about easing them into such a highly sophisticated level of basketball that two years ago, you're, you're talking about the difference between uh, a high school basketball player and a professional basketball player. There's just so many X's and O's. Everybody else is just as athletic as you for the most part. You you, you don't have as many advantages as you did two years ago. And there's so many bad habits that go into that. And and I think the Spurs sort of realize that you're going to have to draft talent that are freshmen in college or, or, you know, 19-year-old European players that didn't really get a chance to play professional basketball because the talent is being grabbed. So it's no longer the case where you can really let these guys develop their own track records uh, at a professional or an NCAA upperclassman level. And you you mentioned it too with off the... There's the art part of this that I've realized this season while covering them is the off-the-court stuff that they've developed. They don't just develop on the court in Austin. There's a lot more to the to the development cycle with going into the, to the Austin system, where we've seen players like Luca be with Jeff Ledbetter I mean, those Austin sto- on the Austin stories uh, that we got earlier in, the, earlier in our quarantine. But there's just a lot more... There's a lot more to the development than just playing them on that court, in my opinion, too. Yeah, uh... There's obviously some maturity that goes into it as well, because I think uh, overall you're you're looking at uh, a a young group of guys who, again, maybe should be in their second year of college. And and as someone who not too not too far ago I was a sophomore in college, I can tell you. I don't know what I would do if I were a multimillionaire at 20 years old <laughs> or, or whatever yeah. it might be. I, I, you know, there, there's things that go into just being a professional athlete, being an adult, uh, knowing how to take coaching, knowing how to deal with travel, what to eat. There, there's so many things that go into that, that life that you, you don't really miss out or uh, have anything taken away if you're in the G League or if you're in the NBA because just just learning how to the difference between being a a boy to a man really is a a big thing that I'm sure a lot of players will look back and say man I I was crazy as a 20 something year old but now that I'm in my uh, late 20s or in my 30s I've calmed down a little bit and that's that's just another part of the mature maturation process that maybe we lose a little bit from I mean, again, I can I can tell you that not too long ago, I was a senior in college and a freshman in college, and there's just a huge maturity jump in those four years that I, I think most business people w- would prefer if you, you got the 22-year-old who's led a couple NCAA teams as opposed to the 19-year-old who you know is going to be something special but really didn't get to... to you know, show that he made mistakes on or off the court. So you're kind of taking a gamble at all times with these younger guys. Exactly. So we the group that we are going to have that's from Austin that will be with San Antonio for in the bubble is Quindary Weatherspoon, Lucas Samanich, Drew Eubanks, Chemezi Metu, and Keldon Johnson. But before we get there, because I know everyone wants to get there, I want to know who was who's one of the top players that wasn't a Spurs 
that was on the Spurs roster and just specifically on the Austin roster that impressed you the most this season in Austin? You know, there's a couple names that pop out. Again, all these guys uh, so young and um, not really getting any NBA uh, chances to this point. But Diedrich Austin was awesome. He, uh, on the season, yes. was just a very good, well-rounded player. He shot... Uh, 34% from three. He shot 53% from inside the three-point line. He led the Big 12 in scoring and rebounding at Kansas last year, and you know, those things kind of translated. He was able to score and rebound pretty efficiently in the G League, and uh, I would say maybe, you know, just maybe his lateral quickness needs to improve, but once he does that, he, he's probably an NBA player, right? Because he, he really does have a nice, well-rounded game of being able to score on the block, being able to shoot outside, uh, and just having a nose for the rebound, uh, n nose to rebound the ball, I should say, and uh, he's really going to be a a guy to keep an eye on and I was disappointed for him that he didn't get an opportunity to get one of those uh, 10 day call-ups at the end of the season because I think he would have do you think um or which players that are not currently getting those call-ups like for example uh Drew, Jamezi, and Keldon and Luca and Quindary who do you think out of those other guys are going to be um, getting call-ups maybe, you know, from another team or getting contract offers from another team. I know probably Dietrich Lawson is probably up there. If, you know. Yeah, yeah, Dietrich will probably get looked at. Uh, I also think that Dalton Hamas shows off a, a little bit of potential. He had to adjust to the three-point range as well, like everybody else, but he still ended up shooting 33%, which is efficient enough uh, to, to get looked at, and he had some solid... Uh, size athleticism length on him to kind of maybe play the combo forward position so uh, i could also see uh dalton hamas being a, another player who gets gets looked at yeah I, was, I honestly thought if there was another roster spot available for the spurs because looking back at the rules before because the rules for the bubble rosters were all over the place before they got finalized i honestly thought dietrich lawson was going to be one of those guys if there was an additional roster spot to fill Say for injured Trey Lyles or for injured Lamarcus, I think Dietrich would have got that, would have got that call up at the least because knowing how the Spurs operate, they like to go within the system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Tyler Zeller one did catch me off guard a little bit, but you know he's a he's a pretty in, in his past he's been an athletic, solid sized body that can rebound and score. I don't have his stats in front of me, but you look at his most recent career in the NBA and I think he was averaging like uh 11 points in eight games or something like that like it, it was numbers that made me surprised that he he hadn't gotten an opportunity after that so you know whatever it is uh, I think Tyler Zeller is a, actually a, a pretty good option to go with but yeah Diedrich would have been a fun person to see as well uh, maybe fill that LaMarcus Aldridge gap all right let's get to the main event finally let's get let's hit with one of these five guys that we have that are I've been with Austin all season. Let's start with the second round pick, Quindary Weatherspoon. He's been doing, he was pretty solid in Austin. Not really a scorer from my opinion, from my view, but he was definitely a, definitely a good system guy where he was passing the ball continuously. He finished the, he finished the Austin season with 14.8 points per game, 4.8 assists, and nearly, and over a steal a game. What was your opinion on Quindary Weatherspoon this season? Love him. Just, just, uh, he was kind of learning how to, do a combo guard into a point guard role uh, from Mississippi State and then uh, going into the G League. But 
You know, I brought this up when they drafted him. Solid size for the position, pretty good athlete. He has a nice, well-rounded skill set. I think one of his knocks was three-point shooting, and then he comes out and shoots uh, 33% on the season. Uh, and and he really evolved in that. He started shooting four threes a game. So so I, I do think that Quindary Weatherspoon's evolution this year has been very, very promising. Uh, he's... Uh, going to be exciting to watch. He actually averaged 15 points per game on top of uh, averaging those near five assists per game, which led the team. So he not only was a solid scorer, but he also distributed the ball really well. And he, he's a tough defender. He, he can do a lot of things. And I, I really do think that the, the Spurs got a really solid pickup in him because uh, you look at it, uh, an all-SEC player, the, a conference that produces uh, – NBA players every year, you, you got to take somebody like that. At, I think they took him at 49, and that, that was just a really good pickup. I could I could see somebody with Quindary's resume and physicals uh, maybe being a first-round pick if he were a sophomore, which goes back to sort of what I was saying, where it doesn't really make sense to me why, you know, those two years difference really does make a big difference in your draft stock because – uh, Quindary would have probably been a first-round pick 10 years ago. Yeah, and honestly, it kind of reminds me of Derek White, too, where Derek White went all four years at at uh, Colorado State. Not Colorado State, Colorado, right? Am I wrong in Colorado that? was his uh, last year. He was actually at some culinary school yeah, culinary his first school. couple of years. He, but, he was like D2. <laughs> but he played he played all four years in college, though. And But we've seen that some of those four-year college players are just much more mature players, and I think Quindary is one of them. Yeah, yeah, because instead of uh, coming out of college as a freshman going on your sophomore year, you're a senior who has dealt with those freshmen, and you sort of know how to be a better leader, and there are obviously traits that come with just being mature for a little bit longer, and uh, I'm all for somebody like Quindary Weatherspoon being the Spurs draft pick because he knows how to be a leader and part of being a senior is being a leader and that that's uh, we mentioned it earlier just something that sometimes just gets lost in translation when you're picking up these uh 19 or 20 year olds in the first round who have only played a year or two in college so carl um this is a question specific to to one of my favorite g league players um what is what is your take on Chemezi, and and do you feel like he can take that next step into the NBA to to specifically garner more minutes um, and carve out a bigger role at, at least maybe not with the Spurs but with another team you know hopefully he stays with the Spurs but if somebody else comes knocking do you think that Chemezi's game is going to translate to that next to the next level? Chemezi is a very athletic ball of clay. Uh, you, you want to form him in the way that you, you want to form him, and I think the Spurs are kind of looking at a combo forward that can sort of do a lot of things that Rudy Gay does. And if you look at Chemezi Metu in the G League, he he really did do a lot of things well, especially when Keldon and Luca, and I think uh, down the stretch even Drew and Quindary were called up by Austin, and it was just the Chemezi Metu show. And, and he really has improved as a player. A lot of people want to think that all he can do is dunk. He can't can dunk that's that's definitely in his skill set um but but he shot 38 percent from three and, and i'm not i'm not sure if that will translate to the orlando bubble because these guys haven't played competitive basketball in three months but 
that that was a step in the right direction. He probably was you know, going to Austin specifically to work on his three, and he starts shooting a couple threes a game at a very efficient clip, and, and that's good. He's also a good rebounder. He can also score inside, so you can kind of use him on a post up, or you know, have him be somebody that's a lob target, and. He rebounded well enough. He he averaged nine rebounds a game. So 18 points, nine rebounds, efficient shooting. Uh, I think he even tried to create his own shot a little bit where he would take dribble pull-ups or drive to the basket, and that's in his skill set too. So, you you know, I think the main thing was for Chemezi was – a, he is a younger guy who's playing on a veteran-heavy team, but B, he just kind of needed to put it all together, and I really think he was hitting a very solid stride there when the season got shut down, and I, I'm excited to see what he can do in the bubble. One of my knocks on Chmezi, though, has been that while he's, he can put solid numbers up, but his game is a bit sloppy, in my opinion, where he's turning over 2.6 point times a game and has over three fouls, personal fouls a game. And I thought he still. I thought that was kind of the main reason that he was still in Austin for a majority of the season was he just needs to clean up his game when it comes to comes to the defensive side on that aspect. Yeah, you know, I think when you're a young player trying to figure out how to play at the next level, Chemezi was a great defender at the college level uh, because he he was a better athlete than most of the guys out there in the Pac-12. But then when you come to the NBA, Chemezi might be. Uh, I would say he's still a pretty good athlete, but he's not head and shoulders better than uh, half of the guys on the court. So so all of a sudden, what was once a strength is now sort of a you're 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 good to okay at it and you need to develop other parts of your game and that that's part of it cleaning up the turnovers cleaning up the fouls because the spurs are all about defending without fouling and he's somebody who would probably prefer to take off one foul per game and add on to a block he he averaged a block and a half a game down there in austin so chemezi hopefully will put things together and i think he can it it just kind of comes down to what will you do when you're not the focal point of the offense, when you're not getting uh, the opportunity to shoot 12 times a game? Uh, Those things are are sort of where you really do need to learn how your game fit into the Spurs system versus how your game can translate from being an Austin Spur to a San Antonio Spur because guys like Keldon, Chemezi, they're not going to get the same opportunities to score in San Antonio as they would with Austin. Yeah, so this might be a little hot of a question to ask, but do you think what the Spurs, the San Antonio Spurs did by moving Drew up um, over Chemezi was the right move, or would you rather have taken a different approach and maybe gotten somebody else like maybe Deidre Glosson to, to put some more uh, minutes in. I know he doesn't have the contract, but, you know, to put some more minutes in the in NBA. Oh, I don't make those decisions. I'm not smart <laughs> enough to make those decisions. The, these guys, you know, uh, I, I defer to the, the people who spend eight hours a day with these guys and or see more. what they do in practice. Yeah, and, you know, are traveling six months of the year with them. And, you know, they, they see so many more things than we do. I can understand, again, fans being excited about these athletic young guys, but there is a developmental path that needs to be followed. And 
I'm not going to, you know, speculate here, you know, what would have happened this way or that way. So, you know, I know that they, they like the guys that are in their system. That's why they're in the system. And uh, hopefully, you know, all of them develop into good players and have long careers. And I'm sure the Spurs hope that if they have good careers, they're they're with San Antonio. So uh, that that's kind of, it's almost like, we've moved into the world of minor league baseball. You still get to pick your guys and you still get to more or less easily move them around. If uh, maybe there's a better fit for them or you. Uh, But at the end of the day, you know, these guys, there's something that the team sees in them and they want to reach their ceiling. Moving on to um, another guy that, that would be that uh, Mac mentioned and someone that I've seen that I thought had a solid season in the G league this year, Drew Eubanks, where, He's, this is his second year. He's on a two-way contract, and he even got three starts in San Antonio in his 14 games up there, filling in for some some injuries. But I thought Drew Eubanks had, had a solid season this this year in, in the G League at the least. Yeah, yeah, Drew is... He, it's funny, he's almost a, a victim of the times because he's somebody that would easily be in the NBA 10 years ago when things such as offensive rebounding were a little bit higher prioritized, having a bit more size, uh, depth would have been prioritized. And he went undrafted out of Oregon State, but he put up numbers that should have resulted in him being drafted. Uh, he was He's still, to this day, a very efficient field goal shooter, and, and he's very active defender. So, you know, all of those things tend to lead to success, and he works hard, and I think that he will be successful. However, yeah, Drew is uh, just sort of uh, playing the numbers game in a different NBA at the moment where y- you really do want to uh, have sort of a, a different kind of forward than than you used to and drew's kind of a throwback to a power forward and that's that's probably why i like him so much because i tend i tend to favor the big man game i tend to like that old that old style play that that tim duncan used to play so i whenever i look at players i always find myself liking players like that i like to i like chris operzingas i like sabonis in in indiana and i like drew just for his game because he's definitely a rim runner he can run up and down the floor. He even with his size, he has some really talented speed with him. Just for at least for his size, and like you said, he can shoot efficiently, which is, which is kind of important, especially whenever you want someone that can be a good rim runner. No matter what, if you're going, if you need someone to get that rebound, Drew's going to get it. If you if you need energy, Drew's going to bring it. And that's something that's always impressed me about it. What, but what are some of the weaknesses that you've seen with Drew Eubanks that could be holding him back? Well, you know, it's funny. I I don't necessarily like to dive too much on weaknesses or areas to improve. However, uh, Drew never even shot a three in his G League career. And then his first one that he he shot in the NBA, he nailed. And I want to say, you know, maybe maybe I'm blanking on because March seems like a year ago now. I want to say he knocked down a couple more threes. Don't quote me on that. But, you you know, that's really what maybe does hold back that throwback power forward like I was saying Drew embodies is you you sort of need to be able to stretch the floor or do those things that you do do which is rebound and score inside and you know set screens very well like a Steven Adams or a Jakob Pertl so you know if if Drew could really consistently prove that he is a three-point threat uh, that I mean that's something that every NBA player would like to say that they can do. And that just makes everything easier for where you can be plugged and placed on the court. 
Do you think that's that is a like he's a victim of the system because he's I mean let's face it really none of the Spurs centers are, are guys that can stretch I mean maybe the only the last one that we've had was been Pal Gasol and LA could stretch but he played more on the inside we did see him for a small spurt of time you know stretching the floor and doing really really well but that kind of faded away and I believe it probably faded away because of his shoulder injury um, but do you think that you know, maybe that's a reason why Drew doesn't go to that three-point line is because it's uh, you know, it's he's he's a victim of the system. You know, the the Spurs' philosophy on three-point shooting is definitely one to to be looked at, and I really think here in the Orlando bubble, the the philosophy on three-point shooting is going to uh, really play in the Spurs' favor because. Uh, their thought is we don't want to shoot a three for the sake of shooting a three. We want to shoot a high value three point shot. And also I don't think they want to get fall in love with shooting the three point shot. I think their only time that you're going to see the Spurs pressured into jacking up 30 or 40 threes in a game is if they have to keep up with somebody who's putting up and knocking down an efficient number of threes over the course of a game. And, and those kind of, analytics go into much deeper conversations than anything that happens on Twitter uh, for those reasons. However, you know, when you look at Drew's field goal percentage as somebody who shoots 62% from the field in the G League, those things do kind of translate to a certain extent. Obviously, the NBA defenders, again, are better and uh, more physical uh, in terms and probably uh, bigger size as well. The G League has improved in terms of its size. However, you're not going to run into any uh, Joel Embiid's in the G League or Jakob Pertl's really. So, so you know, you're you're really talking about somebody who um, can do a lot of good things, and he is in a system where if he does shoot a three, it needs to be a really clean look. So, it, is that going to be something that Drew adds to his game? He even said one time when somebody asked him about three point shooting that he doesn't make those decisions. So. You know, we'll just have to see where Drew evolves. This is his second year on a two-way contract, and I've enjoyed watching him. And, you know, you you, you kind of just have to see what happens with some of these guys uh, over the course of their careers and uh, how they improve in certain ways. Yeah, going back to the, the Spurs three-point, they shot the 28th most in the league, which is it's bottom five, but still they shot the seventh-best three-point shooting percentage in the league. And... Do you think Drew? But do you think Drew Eubanks could earn earn a full time contract either by the Spurs or by another NBA team this upcoming season? Sure, I I, I I'm a fan of Drew Eubanks. I think that he deserves a spot in uh, in somebody's roster. Uh, but those aren't decisions I make. And you know, uh, I again talked about how I probably would have drafted Drew based off of his college numbers and tape and uh, physical attributes. So. You know, at the end of the day, what do I really know? I, I just kind of describe what's going on on the court. But you, you guys see it daily, though. So that we always think that you have some more, you have more of a, you have more of an analytic mind is what you can see. But I understand, though. I understand. You just kind of say what people are doing. You don't really break down too much. The yeah, the the analytic mind is realizing that you're not putting in nearly the time, effort, or concentration that these coaches and players are. Uh, I mean, I understand what's going on on the court. I understand the analytics of it. And, you know, probably it's pretty obvious if you, you say, yeah, Keldon Johnson's going down to the G League to, you know, get used to what it's like to play in the NBA. What all does that entail? I can tell you those things, you know, but like in terms of uh, 
you know, who's good enough to be in the NBA, you, I, I, I would love to know why Devin Robinson, who was a junior at Florida two years ago, didn't get drafted and hasn't gotten a call up yet because that guy is basically, in my opinion, 6'9", wing defender that has a three-point shot. I, I just don't get it, you know? So so the people that make those decisions, they obviously see certain things. But, you know, I will say uh, Drew Eubanks is not Christian Wood, but he, he reminds me a bit of Christian Wood. And Christian Wood has turned out to be a pretty solid NBA player once he got a, a chance uh, bouncing around a couple spots. Yeah, he's somebody that I wanted I wanted the Spurs to get after, I think after he, he left not the Pistons, but I think he, after he left uh, New Orleans, you know, I wish the the Spurs would have gone after Christian Wood. It would have been he would have been he would have filled a role that they needed to be filled. Very very man, much. he's bounced around. The first time I saw him was uh, in Utah summer league playing for the Bucks. So, uh, and I, and I was amazed how he didn't have a contract watching him with the Bucks. So right. you know, it's it's kind of funny how how these guys. It, Maybe I can spot talent, but it's kind of funny how these guys bounce around until they either are out of sight, out of mind, or uh, playing rotation minutes for uh, an NBA team. Going on to the next guy, and this is the 19th overall pick. Some people were very question were questioning this this 19th overall pick with Luka Shamanich, and some people are still calling him a bust. And I, honestly, I don't know why people are calling him a bust. It's only he's only a rookie. It's only his first year, and it's. It's mainly just because you haven't really been able. Uh, Spurs fans really haven't been able to see him, and they are not. They're not watching Austin. But what? What do you think? What do you think uh, Luca could bring to the floor? Well, you know, I I think he might actually be the player I'm most interested in seeing in the Orlando bubble. It would be amazing and awesome if he would actually uh, be paired up with Jakob. Uh, we could probably figure out something to to call them because there are two Europeans, a Croatian and an Austrian out there. Um, but they, they complement each other really well in terms of their skill set because Luca can more or less do it all. He can post up, he can shoot from three, he can put the ball on the floor, he's really athletic. And, and you know, calling somebody a bust in their first three, five years is is way off the mark. You, you uh, That's just another thing with social media that, that bugs me. But, yeah, Luca is somebody who turned 20 in January. So, you know, give him some time, let him develop and let him figure out the NBA game. And I think uh, Jeff uh, Garcia had a really funny story, how he translated a Croatian article and the, the translation from Luca was to get a foul call. You have to die in the G league. So, you know, he's a guy who's, who's learning how to play with professionals and in a men's league and, you know, longer three-point line and all of those things that go into just sort of a, a culture adaption as well since since he's coming from Europe and it's first time in America. So uh, learning a new language more efficiently. Uh, he speaks solid English, but, y- you know, obviously you're dealing with uh, a, an immersive culture. So uh, Luca, just give him some time. I think he really can develop into a really solid, well-rounded player. You know, you always talk about where guys are drafted, but somebody like Derek Williams was drafted number two behind Kyrie Irving in uh, 13 spots ahead of Kawhi Leonard. So, you know, do you want to label him a bust? I mean, whatever you want to label him, but these guys are just picked all over the place. So, you know, just based off of what you've done doesn't always determine whether or not you're going to be good in the future. And I, I think so far... 
if you look at Luka Shamanish's presence, present, he is going to be a really solid player. And I'll, I'll tell you one other thing. Um, not too many times am I like thrown off by somebody being taller and wider than me in the NBA because I'm just kind of around these guys. But Luka really does have some legitimate size and athleticism to him. So uh, I think that, you know, those kinds of things are, are also what people look at when they, they're drafting guys. It's like, okay, is this guy like a legitimate 6'11", or is he somebody who's like 6'8 and shoe, uh, without shoes? And, and Luka is a legitimate big man. So, you know, I think that that's also another thing that's sort of hard to come by is a, a very well-rounded big man like Luka. So uh, I was all for the Spurs taking anybody they wanted wherever because, again, they're the ones who put all the timing and focus into it. But Luka was a really solid pick. And then if you told me that with 19 and 29 we were going to get Kelton Johnson and Luka Shamanich, I wouldn't have cared where you drafted him. That, that's a that's quite a good haul. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of in agreement. I mean, I think, you know, I just – for my my criticism on Luca, and it's not even a criticism of Luca, it's more of the fact that going back to draft night, you know, you have somebody like Brandon Clark that was there at nineteen, and or even you know, and I know um, Ty was a Matisse Ty Bull fan at that point, um, and I think a guy like Brandon Clark would have been a, a better pick to go for, um, because of you know of the the needs that you needed. I mean we've seen you know we've seen what Brandon Clark can do in the NBA and that was that's always been my criticism of the Luka pick it's not because of Luka but it's because of the Luka pick and that's my issue with it but obviously I always defer I I, I I'm I I follow the Carl method the Carl method of of always deferring to the Spurs because I've been wrong multiple occasions you know my latest blunder was with Derek White like I wanted the Spurs to draft Jordan Bell and I said they got Derek White and now Jordan Bell's been kind of a journeyman now you know and he hasn't even finished his rookie contract um and Derek is has been amazing so you know I'll always defer to the Spurs regardless you know of what my what my opinion is <laughs> yeah and you know Brandon Clark I think you know going back to him because he's he's actually had a really solid year he he pushed Josh Jackson out of the rotation somebody who was a top five pick in 2017 down to the Memphis hustle so uh you know, I think he's having a, a really good year, and I, I understand that criticism of, you know, why didn't you go after the 22-year-old from Gonzaga uh, versus this 19-year-old from Croatia? But, uh, yeah, I, I have to admit that Luca is definitely somebody who uh, has a lot of talent, and he's young, and the Spurs can really kind of try to mold him in the way that they need him to. And, and overall... Uh, I don't know if they expected the 19th overall pick, whoever it would be, to contribute right away. So I think they were going for the long-term pick anyway right there. And Luka has the age to be a long-term pick, and he has the skill set to make that weight worth the while. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and then on to the last foul player. I think the player that everyone's excited about that we Spurs fans got a glimpse of in the last game of the season against the Mavs is Keldon Johnson. And he's been tearing it up, tearing up at least in the G League. And then he's show, he's been impressive in some of the NBA games that we've seen him. I'm guessing that that's I'm guessing you share the same mindset of him being a very impressive player this season. Keldon definitely uh, went through the typical first round pick of the Spurs in the G League role. You know that's something that has gone all the way back to. 
uh, Corey Joseph really was uh, the first first round pick that was drafted. The first assignment player was James White. And, and I would have loved it if James White had been somebody who the Spurs had uh, tried to develop with a better G League. Uh, because back then the D League was just bad. So James could go out there and, and drop 45 uh, if he wanted to. But, um, you know, Keldon, Keldon came in as one of these guys who was a solid player Kentucky and he was just going to be caught up in the numbers game if he had tried to or if the Spurs had kept him on the the bench because obviously you know you talk about this veteran heavy team here's this rookie that uh you know you have all these questions with rookies even though Keldon was a solid three-point shooter at the college level there's so many things that go into the difference between shooting at the college level and the NBA level uh, most importantly, probably the the speed of closeouts and the length of the defenders. Uh, those things definitely make you change your shot. Uh, the distance makes you maybe get a little more legs on it. So you go from being kind of arm dominant to leg dominant in your three-point shooting. And, and then on top of that, again, you might have been a good ball handler in high school. You might have been a pretty solid ball handler in college. You get to the professional levels and these guys will will steal your cookies if you uh, leave your, your crossover out a little too long. So, you know, Keldon is somebody who I think can really play point guard in a pinch. He can play small ball four in a pinch. And even though he shot 24% from three on the season, I always like to point out, and I, I am sure if Keldon, you know, cared, he probably wouldn't like that I pointed out. But he started, I think, one for 27 on the season from three-point land. And then over the course of his next 27 three-pointers, he shot 50%. And then over the, I think, you know, final 68 three-pointers he shot, um, you know, after starting one for 27, he ended up uh, overall like 34%. So, you know, despite looking at his statistics and saying, oh, he can't shoot threes, he was actually really putting it together. Uh, And... I think that that was maybe why he started to to get a bit of a call up because his three point percentage was doing well. He was unstoppable driving into the paint and scoring. Uh, he could he could score in all kinds of ways, and and he was probably the best defender. There there were a lot of good defenders, but he was probably the best defender on the Austin Spurs. And, and I think that you really have somebody who is very talented young man who's looking to go through the steps properly and that's what the Spurs have been looking for that's what they've been getting and uh, Keldon there, there's not enough I could say about him except uh, I can't wait to watch him develop even more obviously we've seen we've seen Keldon and there's in the bubble we've seen Keldon with uh, with Chip how do you think or how do you think that that's going to? I mean, we know what type of shot wizard um, Chip is. Is this something that Keldon needs to work on even throughout the off season? You know, this coming up season. And how do you think that's going to going to affect him? You know, with the roster next year. Like, is he still going to be in the G League, or do you think you know once he works on his outside game, do you think he's it's it's going to get him get him some more minutes? Um, get him some more minutes with the Spurs. Well, again, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't make those decisions, but I think it based off of the history of the way things go, the Spurs really want to help you establish a track record of running in their offense uh, or excuse me, their system because they they do a lot on the defensive side of the ball that's important too. And Keldon in my opinion really did show that he has you know the NBA skill sets that they need. 
but you know, it also comes down to Lonnie Walker, Dejounte Murray, um, you know, Demar Derozan. All, all of those guys were sort sort of ahead of him. So I, I think the Spurs felt like it would be better if he really got a chance to develop in the G League while they made a playoff push. But now, when we're talking about the Orlando bubble and you know the rotations maybe having to be a lot different because of. Uh, these guys just aren't in the same shape that they were in in March because the the season was going on. I could really see Keldon having an opportunity to to be that young athlete that can play uh, several minutes more per game than expected just because you, you maybe want to bring in these young guys and you let these young guys go loose. Maybe that'll help them solidify where their role is going to be next year. So, so you know, uh, th- those decisions again aren't made by me, but I think I can say unequivocally that Keldon Johnson has improved well enough to to be considered a you know a guy worthy of NBA minutes. So, Carl, let me ask you this, and this is a completely hypothetical because this is the world that I'm going to set up for you. Let's, if you had the sticks, if if you booted up, you know. NBA 2K Orlando Bubble Edition, and you were GM or you were coach of the Spurs, what would be your starting lineup? Oh, man, putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're forcing you to make decisions now. Yes. <laughs> Again, yeah, this, yeah, is, well, this is hypothetical. Know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I would really, you know, uh, not, not, to, not to take a cop out, I would probably go based off of the matchups. Um, every game would be a little bit different, so... Uh, how the Spurs face off against the Rockets would be uh, pretty different from how they would face off against the 76ers. All right, let's so, go for it. Let's go for it. Let's do the 76ers first. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, well, you know, since they have so much size, you would definitely have to match the size. So uh, assuming that their starting lineup would be Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and you know, throw in the other long guys like Josh Richardson and such, uh, then then you'd have to match them with size and maybe, oh, man, who would I start? Man, let me think if I can remember everybody on the Spurs roster so I don't leave anybody out, you know, because I think, what, what's the Spurs roster at, like 15, 17 now? It's at um, 16 and, and if I count it right. And 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 the Spurs are without Trey Lyles and uh, Lamarcus. Lamarcus. So so there you go. That's your starting four or five, more or less. So so you definitely got to start Jakob uh, at center, I think. Um, and then you, you want to probably start uh, Luca because he has a lot of size and athleticism. Or if if you're maybe looking to go just a little bit smaller there, maybe you start Rudy Gay at the four. Um, and then on on the one two three. Uh, I think it would be cool if it were uh, DeJounte, Derek, and DeMar. But, you know, you really do need to work in some kind of floor spacing in there. So I imagine Bryn might be in place of um, maybe Derek. But, you know, you know, all those things kind of kind of go get thrown out the window. I know the starting lineup is usually uh, looked at, but um, the guys are going to get tired after like seven or eight trips down the court. So you're going to have to figure out how to rotate them in there. So, you know, I think uh, when, when you're talking about going up against a team with more size, like those 76ers, you're going to see more minutes for Chemezi met too, and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, whoever might be in there, such as Drew Eubanks. But then uh, when you're going up against the Rockets, Eubanks and Metu might not get as much run. So, 
uh, th- those kinds of things are all sort of um, going to come into play. And, you know, I'm glad that I don't make those decisions, to be honest with you. It's uh, I mean, if I if I say something wrong on the air, you know, it's a mistake I can get over. If I put in the wrong person in rotations, uh, I might not have a job much longer. So, you know, I, I can't make too many mistakes on air, but uh, I wouldn't want to be and this is probably why I'm in broadcasting. I would never want to be in a situation where somebody else not doing their job right puts me in a job where I'm not doing mine, or a position where I'm not doing mine right, <laughs> considered at least. So I, I got to ask this. So I know that Mac and I both have our own favorite teams. What would be your favorite team besides, of course, the Spurs, but who would be like your next team that you enjoy watching, at least in the G League and in the NBA? Uh, in the NBA, the 76ers, my family's from Philadelphia, so I've been actually a 76ers fan longer than I've been a, a Spurs fan, but, um, I would say the 76ers for the NBA team, for the G League team, man, there's so much turnover in the G League that I don't know if you can necessarily say that you enjoy following one team because it's not like the NBA where, yeah. you know, you say, oh, hey, yeah, their star player is one of my favorite players, uh, no, they they have so much turnover that it it really is hard to say a G League team other than the one that I get paid to broadcast for. So, um, you know, the it's fun to watch the the Austin Spurs, but I can't say that you know, oh hey, those those Wisconsin herd, they're coached by R.C. Buford's son. They, that makes them my favorite team because the way he coaches them, it, there really is uh, such a you know, even Blake Ahern. Uh, I enjoyed working with him. He's now an assistant with Memphis. So uh, you you can't even really follow the coaches because just like the players, the coaches are trying to get better jobs. So it's really kind of hard to establish a favorite G League team, but definitely the Sixers uh, as a second NBA team. All right, now I got to ask the big question everyone's been waiting for. How is life as a yoga instructor? Uh, I am currently not teaching at the moment. I'm not doing anything live. I know there's a lot of people that are looking into it. I've been reached out to by a few studios that I've worked with previously, but uh, I just don't really feel comfortable in a room full of people that I'm telling to like breathe a little more forcefully during a time where breathing is not necessarily breathing in other people's breathing spaces is not necessarily, um, uh, fun, uh, or excuse me, uh, what's the word? Not fun. Um, uh, not recommended not to safe. be around. Yeah, not recommended to be around. Yeah, you know, I, I just sort of don't know all the science behind it and teaching wearing a mask and, uh, you know, everybody else wearing a mask and, and you know, just the, the people who want to chat afterwards. It, it's just a little too much for somebody who's trying to, to get through this safely. So, you know, uh, at the moment, the yoga teaching is not really happening. But how, how did you actually get into yoga, though? Oh boy, uh, we can go back to, I guess, P90X when I first tried yoga because it's uh, the Thursday workout on their calendar, uh, and and that was really tough. I don't think I got through 10 minutes of it, and, and I wasn't unflexible or anything. It's just that that's a, a very um, focused and uh, muscle-activative workout that you need to basically be ready to uh, breathe a lot because it's an aerobic workout, so if you stop breathing, all of a sudden you're, you're going to uh, not be able to continue. So I experienced a lot of that, and, and then all of a sudden uh, I did it for a few years because it made me feel like I could work out a little harder and recover a little better. And then the the main deciding thing that pushed me into it was uh, I was uh, bored up, uh, up at iHeartRadio, and um, I had the morning shift with Mike Taylor, and 
I drove all the way down there at 4.30 to get there at 5.30 to leave at 9.30 and pass out, hopefully safely. I'm not going to lie that I felt myself nodding off on I-35 and had to pull over to take, you know, some naps sometimes after those morning shows. But I found out I understand you so much on that end, having to work a morning shift at, because I was at iHeartRadio in Dallas and also CBS Radio up here in Dallas. Whenever I had that morning shift, I... There were a few times I was nodding off of the wheel, and I got really worried about my safety. Yeah, and and what I found out was, you know, that wasn't the only odd hour shift that I worked, but uh, what I found out was that just kind of uh, yoga wouldn't really get me too sweaty, and it would get me nice and, uh, you know, active, and I, I wouldn't be just sitting for what would equate to six hours straight where I drove, I worked, and then I drove. So, um, you know, eventually, though, the one thing I learned about sports is with, you know, most of my income coming from being a sports broadcaster, there isn't much sports in the summer. So, what do I do in the summer? And the I just kind of found fitness. So uh, that would be sort of uh, what we did. But now it's kind of um, sports are, aren't really happening. So uh, luckily I have a, a good, uh, a solid job with Texas State. And uh, hopefully sports will come back and uh, things will work out from there. But yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a, the times are making it difficult to be a yoga instructor. And I'm, I, while I could very easily put on a solid live stream, I'm just not really interested in doing uh, all that production when there's so many other people out there doing it. Uh, I have I have kind of other things to do, such as be on podcasts. Yeah, yeah. well, this is, this is much better than hot, sweaty yoga online by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, Carl, thank you again for coming on. Uh, where can they follow you on all your endeavors? Because you do so much. Where can they find you on Twitter and all the, all the different projects that you work on? Uh, it is at KSmedia13 on Twitter, and you might as well just follow there. That's what I keep up with most. And um, uh, if you want to follow at SHN Sports, we're, we're going to be doing a whole lot of stuff there. So uh, we're going to try and do our best to, on be, being a, a company that can really uh, take the live streaming to the next level. So, uh, you know, I've been spending this quarantine learning about color sciences and things and uh uh, we got a SBA grant, so I'm gonna uh, we're gonna spend that on camera equipment. So uh, we're we're excited about the upcoming football season and crossing our fingers that it's gonna happen. Yeah, if we ever want to show our ugly mugs on video, we're gonna definitely come to you for live streaming. Cause I, yeah, I, sounds I, good. I, yeah, all the live streaming equipment for video is more or less uh, hard to find because. Uh, it's either sold out or being um, price gouged. Uh, yeah, exactly, price gouged. So it's worth looking into those it's just, uh, now, it's just, so you can make sure that you're ready when you want to do it. <laughs> it's just to me, it's too complicated. I know that uh, who who else in Spurs podcast lands doing? I forgot. Like Joe Garcia but, and uh, those yep. guys from yeah, Two he, Shots. He he's doing it. He's doing it all. I don't know how he can do it all. I he's doing I an compare, amazing I, job. Like with his small personal studio, it's crazy. Yeah, so shout out to our fellow Spurs podcast. But Carl, thank you so much for coming on and and, and informing us of all the awesome Spurs that we're going to be seeing in, in the bubble this next week. We're going to be we're getting, we're getting games on Thursday finally of Spurs basketball, and then we're finally going to get, see the season restart back up next week. Carl, are you excited? Yeah, yeah, I really am. I'm I'm finally excited to watch some basketball. In fact, uh, I'm in. Uh... I'm not watching my TV at the moment, but as soon as uh, I put down the mic, I'm going to see what's on TV. Again, go follow Carl at KSmedia13 on Twitter. Mac, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, the new handle is at 
Mac Benya. That's literally it. So it's easy. Good thing I hit it over to you because I was going to say Mac Pen Media again. So, <laughs> and I changed my Twitter handle too. We changed on the same day. Mine's at the Ty Yeager. And you can follow at the line for everything Spurs at the line pod. And then you can also go to our website for anything else at, at the line podcast.com. Again, thank you for Carl for coming on and we'll see you guys next time. Hey guys, have you ever listened to At The Line and then suddenly think, huh, I kind of want to make my own podcast? Well, guess what? I have something that's going to be the best tool for you in starting off your podcast. It's called Anchor, and this is what we use here at The Line. One, it's absolutely free to use, and guess what? I know some of our hosting websites, they cost money to have you start your podcast, host it, and all that. Anchor doesn't do that. It's absolutely free. And there's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer if you don't have all the equipment that you want. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so you don't have to go to all these other websites and figure out, how do what what do I put? How do I get this? It's so confusing. Anchor, although, makes it easy for you. And they will put your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcasting websites. And guess what? The best part of it? You can make money from your podcast, but no minimum listenership. That means you can do your podcast for free while making money. Who doesn't love that? And it's everything that you need to make your podcast in one place. So make sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your free podcast. This is Jeff Garcia of the Spurs Zone. And for everything you need to know about your silver and black, you want to go to the Spurs Zone at News4 San Antonio and Fox29SanAntonio.com.